Thank you for coming to this um, pop-up event. And thanks for attending. And the idea is that we have our four Kickstarter poets that uh, some of you already know about. They're the ones that we've brought all the way from the Americas, thanks to public support, uh, which we got thanks to a Kickstarter campaign. And uh, two of them had their event this morning, and the two others are going to have theirs tomorrow. But we thought we've brought them all this way. Let's have another opportunity to listen to some more of their poetry. At the same time, we thought we could give others an opportunity to read theirs as well. So essentially, you chaps are going to be the sort of the filling in the sandwich, yes? So we're going to start off with uh, Enrique, uh, and then we'll have two of you, then one of our headliners, then two of you, etc. Yeah? And so we're asking you, please, just to keep it down to two poems each. Okay? Two poems each. Thank you very much. We're going to start off with, um, with Enrique Winter, uh, who was born in Santiago in Chile in 1982. He's also, as well as a poet, he's an editor and a lawyer. And he is the author of uh, the winner of the National Young Poet Competition in 2010 with uh, a collection called uh, Guía de Despacho. And uh, he's the winner of the National Book Council Fellowship and uh, winner of the Victor Jara Arts Festival. In addition... He has co-translated the anthology Decepciones by Philip Larkin and co-authored the album Agua en Polvo, which was the winner of the Fund for the Promotion of Chilean Music. He is also author of the novels Las Bolsas de Basura, the rubbish bags. Enrique has four collections of poetry and he is also a translator of Emily Dickinson, G.K. Chesterton, Philip Larkin and Charles Bernstein. He is uh, a writer in residence at the. Are you still the university? Yes. No. Okay. You know, he's just finished being the writer in residence at the University of uh, Los Andes in in Bogota. So uh, we're going to hand it over to Enrique now, uh, and then I'll come back and then call one of you up. Thanks a lot to all the organization of this amazing Ledbury Festival uh, for inviting me, for bringing us here, everybody who cooperated in making this possible, uh, to Chloe, to Philippa, to Peter, who is kindly uh, receiving us in his house. And um, when I was told about this extra reading, I took poems that are not going to be presented tomorrow, that you're totally invited to our event with Shivani at 12.45. And I thought out of the open mic, it would be nice probably to read the first poem from my first book published when I was 20 years old. So here it is. Maestranza. Bajo la superficie de los mares hay espacios en blanco. Las crestas de las olas alcanzan caracteres que solo imprimen en mareas altas. Estas dos hojas diarias se suman a otros mundos y nuestra vía láctea lee, los juzga a todos malos, los arruga y los lanza, los agujeros negros, pura tinta perdida. And I will share one poem with you in English. Sorry for the accent, or, or you can be thankful for the accent too, so we can read together. Words. I didn't have an imaginary friend. I didn't climb trees or into a treehouse with him. I didn't form a gang or make blood packs with the neighbors. 
I didn't play out in the streets with them. I didn't dirty myself with mud because they did or go inside for home cooked food. I didn't wear overalls like my brother. I didn't like the prettiest girl in my class. I didn't start any clubs. I wasn't a punk or a metalhead. I didn't act in a theater group. I didn't join a sports club or a soccer league, much less an urban tribe. I wasn't a member of the neighborhood association. I didn't campaign for a political party. I seldom went to family birthday parties. I didn't know my younger relatives. I didn't move in with my girlfriend or project myself beyond her hips. I didn't call and no one called me every day. No one gave themselves entirely to me and I to no one. I didn't ask it. I didn't have a group or a close circle of friends. There was no guild to ask for work. I didn't turn to influential protectors, nor did I have any. I didn't study with my classmates. I didn't plot with a group to get anyone into office. No one came to meet me when I moved to new cities and I had no permanent address. I didn't die out of insecurity by the same cigarettes or alcohol that I saw on TV. I didn't have a TV or anything it advertised. I had no dependence on my health insurance policy, nor did I have health insurance or name brand clothing, nor did I need it. I didn't sign up for instant messaging, blogs, photologs, or Facebook. I didn't have debts or pretend to own more than I did. My past has never seemed better to me. I didn't trade my life for anyone else's and I wouldn't. I didn't burden anyone with my problems because they seemed less serious and everybody else's annoyed me a little. I'm absolutely free, and I regret it. Escultura. Esto como una reproducción a escala del hielo que remite al dibujo oficial de un copo de nieve. La simetría de unas líneas que no están en la nieve, que sean clavos grandes, que entre ellos haya plumas blancas, que al hacerse más grandes den cuenta de lo que significa hacerse grande, fragilidad, lo que hace a las líneas entrecruzadas decir nieve. ¿Cuántas líneas se necesitan para verla? Alguien se pregunta al mirar sobre el papel del dibujo en dirección al que hizo antes de un animal. ¿Qué ve la niña de un año en el trazo que dice miau cuando lo apunta? ¿Cuándo comienza a ser un gato ese dibujo? Deja las tres dimensiones del dibujo y vuelve a las tres de la tarde, de la reproducción a escala del hielo. Una escultura, una escultura hacía perpetuo lo fugaz, pero si a una escultura le crece algo en la mejilla, pasto, por ejemplo, hace fugaz lo perpetuo del hierro. Hacer fugaz lo perpetuo, un bien de consumo que antes duraba para siempre. Radio, mesa, casa. El sobreconsumo afecta a la escultura. Lo perpetuo y su defensa contra el consumo y sus dueños. La perpetuidad es revolucionaria. La perpetuidad es frágil, como el hielo, cuando es representado en la escultura. I'm very sorry, my three books in English are not available here, but you can still 
buy them on the internet, I guess, from the US. Uh, but I did bring some albums, some poems, and my only copy in Spanish. If somebody's really interested, welcome to ask. So I will read three poems from this last, uh, my, my more recent book, Con Lengua de Señas, included in this anthology. Aquí se esculpe con los ojos oídos. Ojalá las imágenes se basten a sí mismas, pero lo que dicen es, y debe ser, otra cosa. Del dueño amando hasta el olor de los billetes, se los refriega por la trompa y los párpados como un artista las teorías en boga. Nada malo si mantuviera los ojos semiabiertos y la nariz parcialmente despejada, como este día en el puerto un buque de carga sagranda conforme pierde definición la tarde y trae a dos mil asilados. Esto se trata de dos amigos que conversan de otra cosa mientras gozan las imágenes que trafican, láminas del álbum de fútbol o monitos que incluyen la faltante para completarlo, fotos del fin de semana en la playa, de un cumpleaños familiar sin olvidable, de exnovias que renuevan su ricura desde el paso del tiempo y bajo el humo del asado del cigarro, del catálogo de autos que jamás podrán comprar, de pinups u otras bagatelas del recuerdo. Y el recuerdo puede ser instantáneo. Esto también puede tratarse de una madre y un hijo, o uno solo de los amigos conversándose en voz baja, mientras las imágenes se le traspapelan, echado en y de un hotel de la ciudad donde vivió toda su vida. And a short one, mantra. Con las heridas de los dedos pinto unos cuadros que compran a buen precio quienes me las hicieron. Para la gentrificación del cielo fue cosa de pagar el boleto de avión, comprar la mirada de un dios compelido a dejar su barrio, de negros pájaros embalsamados sobre un pequeño croquis de oficinas en el que eres un punto, el hongas en pijama y lo eleva el viento, ríes y cuando ríes cuelgas el cielo como sábana, el cielo que no vuela pues no paga el boleto y yo miro el país entero desde arriba, un escote cuyo pezón asoma y tal vez ni sea el enemigo, pulula dentro de luces continuas, calles o discontinuas, llegas, prendes, apagas, vuelves a salir. La ciudad, una placa madre, de amor partió la tuya bajo un árbol, esa cuestión verde con conectores que del computador no sale, como otra oficinista de su casa si está oscuro, lo verde es lo oscuro es el campo, los conectores, focos discontinuos, llegas, prendes, apagas, vuelves a salir. La batería y el ventilador son estadios allí detrás del ala, bloques de apartamentos, las ranuras, nubosidad parcial y cómo dejar de esperanzarse por no sufrir desilusiones si son inevitables. Las nubes, cuando abajo tantas hojas agarraban al vuelo tu padre con tu hermano, revolcándose en el montón de secas. La madre entraba lluvia corriendo entre las sábanas, los ves de frente y como ellos ríes. And finally, a poem that is also in this most recent collection uh, about my brother and about an uncle. Habían dos niñitos. 
Así comenzaban los chistes que inventaba mi hermano. No contaba chistes, los inventaba y yo lo interrumpía por fome. A uno de los niñitos siempre le pasaba algo. Se caía, por ejemplo, y yo le explicaba por qué era fome. Cuando andaba de ánimo le cedía la ausencia de gracia. Y teníamos un tío, el rey Arturo, alias Julín Serra, porque Julín Serra era el rey de los delantales, un fabricante de uniformes para asesoras del hogar, y a mi tío le decían Julín Serra, el rey de los delantales, no por empresario, sino porque amó a todas las nanas y princesas de este barrio y del otro hasta la noche de su muerte. Yo lo recuerdo solo una noche en que sembró el Crataegus o Espino, pero él dijo Crataegus y quedó como Crategüe para mi madre, para mí, dentro del jugo con mucho hielo que le mojaba la barba al tío flaco sin pega estable, escuchando los chistes fomes de mi hermano y riéndose de buena gana. Me cerraba un ojo como diciéndome que lo cachaba. El chiste era fome, como le cerró un ojo a mi hermano en el único recuerdo que él tiene del mismo tío viniendo tarde a la iglesia. Cerrar un ojo hasta cerrar los dos, pero antes reírse de buena gana con los chistes de mi hermano como nunca nadie lo había hecho e inventar otros signos de exclamación, bocas abiertas, dientes de leche... Había dos niñitos y uno cualquier cosa, decía el tío. Era más chistoso que la cresta, eran cochinos los chistes y mi madre jugaba el rol de censurarlo haciendo que nos riéramos más. A los 17 años de muerto mi tío, murió Julín Serra y como sucede con todos los dueños, llovieron obituarios. Le escribí un poema a mi tío peor que los chistes de mi hermano porque no pensé en mi hermano y ahora son... 23 los años y uno solo el recuerdo con mi tío versionando sus chistes. Había dos niñitos. Demasiado tarde aprendí que yo era el otro. Thank you very much. Thank you, Enrique. Thank you very much. And now, Anna, Anna Green will read two of her poems. This one's called Shetland Boys. I sit warm in the window to watch the island boys, the Shetland boys, bringing the sheep across the waters. Waters like glass, waters with the grace of storm soothed, waters like a veil between this life and the hollow after. Cold sea, receive me as you do those strong boys, sons of farmers with shirt sleeves rolled up, wading into softer seas while I strike off without purpose. Kelpie pools are cold as bone, Cold as what's ancient, cold as the bitter hue of here and now, whose sky is bright at midnight, whose mist curls over barren moorland hills like a shroud, like a sweetheart's hand and like the shudder of both at once. The crest of a curlew's cry leave me breathless, and gulls hang, sullen on the weft of the wind, whose seeing hand sifts through their hair as the ungrazed grass, the boys who lift lambs in tender silence, as tongues speak waves and places like song, Boys closer to the earth and sea than I. Aching valley, call me in. Call me to rest among the cut peat and soft hollows. Buffeted, broken, wind scow me clean. Pull me apart like the bleached bones on the beach, pure and forgotten. This is called A Woodland Burial in Hexham, and it's trying to be a sonnet. 
Her name appears as if she sits right here, between us as we drive through jasmine streets, genteel or windows tight against the gray, steel cold the north, the sharp suburban grief. Two years, perhaps now three, but for him she pervades as clear as day, a sun that seeps across wide vistas of the motorway and grass of smoothed back hills paled silky wet. We turn and return back to words of hers, so passive in the slip of years undone, small swimmers in the wrench of one man's grief and questions I have not the heart to ask. Is this all that remains to us? Hands that lift fallen leaves from chiseled stone, a figure bent above in quiet love. Could we now have William Snelling, please? Um, hello. This one's called Dusty in Memphis. It's about the album by Dusty Springfield called Dusty in Memphis. Yesterday, my barber asked me if I was feeling fragile, and I was discomforted by his perception as he sliced off another chunk of my fringe. I end the interaction with the correct words. The usual listlessness slips into the day from lingering over all that's wrong. Irreversible climate change, the bees crossing the street to avoid someone you knew, and even this new Sainsbury's shelf layout seems hostile to me personally. I'm scanning a spring onion when Son of a Preacher Man starts playing over the tannoy like in a movie in all its vacuumed Hollywood ease. But the memory of that song, one with one earphone in my ear, the other one in my mum's, the first line feeling, the first time feeling a whole band clattering inside my head, makes some gene kick in and I'm scanning with purpose, ready to stride into the harsh daylight. Those first eight seconds seem like an alchemical reaction that probably goes back to the dinosaurs, whatever I mean by that. I mean I would like to live in that eight seconds because now we're carefree in fake America and dust is coming up on the imaginary ranch and you feel the pulse of cool blue smoke. I play just a little lovin' on the walk back too with its orchestra that breathes and sways like sly insinuation. And when the chorus of so much love unfolds, the ground seems to move ahead as I walk, paving slabs coming off the streets. After each step, the world becomes that song and no one can pierce it. And it's strangely good to know that I could just be a bag of atoms that vibrate sometimes to electric air and maybe there is more to living than just being happy. I'd rather be a wanna baby, yeah, 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 anyway. Um, this is, oh, I do one that's quite different, this one, <laughs> I can never think of a good title for this one, but it's a univocalic poem, which means the only vowel in it is O. I did cheat a bit by having a few Y's in there, but overall I, I did pretty, I was pretty good, I think. <laughs> uh, um, it's called Outlook for the Week. Drops of blood dot soft snow. Bold winds blow from frosty crypts. No old softy dog or fox prowls. Wolf mobs brood to old moons to show off forlorn howls. Clowns plod to downtrod fools to knock down my door. Moths grown lofty loom to comb for moon glow. O oh, woolly boys of gloom. 
owls look on, orthodox cold. Troops of ghosts flow from fog-flown tombs. Gold or blossom won't show. Noon won't grow from gloom. No torch glows on tomorrow. Thank you. Before I ask uh, Shivani to come, could I get Brian, Brian D. Ball to come up and do his two poems, please? Thank you. And actually, it's ironic because I went to night, I went to workshop on with Shivani on Friday, and this is the outcome of the workshop. Oh, <laughs> you haven't heard it yet. <laughs> called Dreaming Before the Storm. Ideas forcing, eruption in sky, burning and piercing heart, eyes tense and bewildering, ghosts capturing and penetrating, python teasing the tongue, spirit regurgitating out of mouth, saliva firing into open air, sky scared, shaken, tense, frightened, heart intense and burning, devil's hand reaching, protecting me from pain, Accepting guilt, lies, adultery, sin, red, raw and true. Waiting for my punishment. Taking it like a man. Thank you. And the second one is excitement and nerves. Anyone knows a publisher, I've got a book ready to go out. So if, uh, <laughs> this one. <laughs> excitement and nerves. Trees look and stare, their tiny leaves vivid and glittering. Bright new buds waiting to glow, every tree an individual. We see right through them, bewildered, terrific, terrified souls. Shoots young and fetish, and fresh, sorry, excited and apprehensive. Trees become dark green, joined together like lovers. Birds nest inside their hearts. Young become troubled teens. New seasons begin, nervous and, ex and, ex and anxiety within. Surprise will be many. Summer will keep them happy, fearing winter snow. Thank you. I'm going to introduce you now to uh, Shivani Ramlakan, who's a Trinidadian poet, a critic, and a book blogger. Her first book of poems, Everyone Knows I Am a Haunting, uh, was shortlisted for the Felix Dennis Forward Prize for Best First Collection. Uh, Sarala Estruk, who's one of our Ledbury Emerging Poetry Critics, uh, has said this about uh, Shivani. This astonishing debut gives voice to sufferings and struggles of women, the queer and non-binary, reminiscent of Audre Lorde's call for the transformation of silence into language and action. What makes this collection truly revelatory is its bold envisioning of a Trinidad, and beyond that, a world, in which identities and hierarchies of power are fluid rather than fixed. It is a fierce world, ripe with possibility. Please welcome Shivani. Good evening, everyone. It is wonderful to be here, and as Enrique has said, I'm so immensely grateful to this festival and to the Kickstarter for making it possible. Thank you. I usually, 
I usually do some intense throat exercises before I read, but today I didn't have to because I forgot my book of poems at Peter's house. So my exercise was running there and running back for the book. And while I was doing that, I was thinking quite hard about what I might share with you today. And as Enrique said, I'm not going to read these poems tomorrow. The book is called Everyone Knows I Am a Haunting. It took about five years to write. And I think half of that time was me convincing myself I couldn't say half of what was in it. And so these are some of the earliest poems. They're all linked and they're about abortionists, specifically female abortionists working in a small Caribbean place. Whether or not they are factual or fictitious, well, you might have to ask me that after, and I might just lie. <laughs> the first one is called, The Abortionist's Daughter Declares Her Love. Hair is the church. These are the doors that open to the sea. My grandmother once knelt here, awed, a special guest to an exorcism. It is nothing like the movies would have you think, she told me, and I believed her. They have called me many things between these aisles, she told me, and I believed her. That is the trouble with our trade, she said. When men aspire to terrible jobs, we offer them hushed respect, the blushing necks of virgins. Women wearing the same gloves sorting the same straight-backed pins between the prayers of their teeth, are taught to deserve nothing more than an acreage of sorrow. Why an acreage? Never give a woman more sadness than she needs. From this fabric, from this persistent earth, she will wrangle greater things than men can fathom. She will wrestle squalling tar infants from the mire, and those children shall stumble upwards, slicing through the spines of men who have offended their mothers. Give a woman an acreage of humiliation with one spade, one crucifix, one box of straight-backed pins. You've given her nothing she can grow. Within the year, she will run up hard against the borders of her land, shrieking, scouring the air for a way to flee her sex. Give her enough land to hang herself. Here is the church. It lies close to the land that they gave us. Come, see the land of my grandmother and her mother, and hers. Come walk on the borders of my mother's land where no trees grow. My grandmothers are not abortionists, uh, but 
Not so long ago, a writer from Trinidad told me, writing about grandmothers is ancient history and that all grandmother poems were so boring. And I am by nature a very disobedient person. And so when I heard that, I thought, what could be more natural than a grandmother poem? And there is something of grandmothers and mothers in all of these linked abortionist poems. And though my grandmothers, only one of whom is still alive, as far as I know, did not carry out abortions, they certainly did dangerous work. And I think of them every time I share these poems. The second one in this cycle is called The Abortionist's Daughter Gives Cold Comfort. Careful. Your tears will thin these good stitches. Hair is a sadder story to damp this moment's scar. The girl came to us, near nude, defiance limning her jaw, a coven of welts witching dark spells around her waist. Do me, she said, ankles thudding on the metal table. Take it out. But there are some places our knives dare not go. The law would lash us to the trees, pitch forest fires from the roots of our hair, scalpel through and through us. She howled. She cursed the clinic from bedrock quartz to pitch pine rafter. She christened my gloves with shame. These utensils have never recovered. Here, her ghost resides, shrieking as we part the thighs of young girls. She scours their insides for surrogate hope. How she died is another day's work. And then skip a generation. These two poems are about the granddaughter of the abortionist. I don't think that by nature I write love poems. I suppose I write the opposite. Whether that means hate poems, war poems, I don't know, but a love poem tends to elude me. But I think there is something of love in here. Of course, I couldn't admit myself to this at the time because I thought I'm going to write a book that's all fire and brimstone and badassery, but in fact, it's the unexpected gentleness that I had to work for the hardest. And so I'm proud it has survived in these two poems. This one is called Fire, Fire. Outside the tent, it is very cold. I am from islands. I think he doesn't know what my skin can endure but I see I have misjudged him. Inside the tent, I am bivouacked by poems. He is no great orator, but they keep me warm. Who told you these tales? I ask him as he whispers fire, fire on my breastbone. I show him where the war took most of me. We agree the hole can never be filled. When he does not pretend that we can transplant a sapling in the space where my family died, then 
I begin to love him. Fire, fire, he soothes into my brow. His grandmother was the one to feed him these poems and to keep my red skin warm. He shares her battle stories. He tells me about the canyons beneath her beaded blouses. He recites her own poems about the times she was held down. Oh, fire, fire sets the leather shell of our tent alight. The truth is too hot to hold. And all I want is to be burned. It gets so cold that the rivers forget how to dream in thaw tongues. It gets so cold. The ice grows everywhere except on his grandmother's poems, giving me her language. He keeps none for himself. I love him, and now I must watch him freeze to death. Fire, fire. I try to skitter across his blue cheeks, but these wedding vows do not dissolve in my spit. Some poems are not transferable. This heat, this love, is a terrible gift. The last poem begins immediately where the one before just ended. And is called, The Abortionist's Granddaughter Gives Blood. I do what I can do. I hold him close. His limbs are antler heavy. His torso, the belly of a stag, split to reveal giant crags of ice, glistening with a warning. I'm desperate. I have no good poems about fire. I shake him, I stutter. These are my grandmother's poems. These now are all I can offer. Rocking him in my burning arms, I feed him blood. Blood, I am the daughter of women who knew surgical guilt, stitchery, straight-backed pins, and swollen udders. I am the daughter of abortionists. I feed my husband blood, blood, and our tent chokes on the startled heat of two bodies blistering naked onto new pages, gasping learning how to breathe, how to survive with so much fire. Thank you. two poems here about the state of the world. The first one, mass migration. Each winter, birds migrate en masse, in flight for hundreds of miles, in search of warmer, gentler climes. Driven by the need to survive another year, return to find a mate and breed, buffeted by the winds, quite exhausted by the journey, some perish on the way. 
We humans applaud their fortitude, welcome their return in spring, and wish them well. Now, humans are migrating en masse, in flight for hundreds of miles from war, drought, poverty, and persecution, driven by the need to find a refuge somewhere they can live to see a better day, packed into overcrowded, rickety boats, braving the elements and the oceans, some perish on the way. Do we applaud their fortitude? Do we welcome their arrival and wish them well? And the second one is entitled, I Ache for the World. I ache for the world and its wars and wasted lives. How many more must die this way? I ache for the world and its lost wildlife and wildernesses. How many more must disappear? I ache for the world and its myriad women, abused and violated. How many more victims of such violence? I ache for the world and its newborn babes, set to become war orphans and refugees. How many more ravaged childhoods? I ache for the world and how I long to hope, to believe all this can, will end. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, could we now have the Eleanor Wallace? I have two poems that I wrote about my mother who died uh, recently at the age of 100. The first one's called Garden. So I'll leave this garden to the three-legged cat. He'll still be able to get in over the fence where the compost heap was, by the mock orange that flowers on her birthday each year. He's here now, a messenger, sitting on the dew-covered lawn, under the overgrown fuchsia. He'll still hear the poplars at night as they rustle and rush in the wind. And the second one's called Beauty. I used to store my beauty in you, the cherry blossom in Grange Road, every spring when I cycled round, the first bluebells in the garden, the scent of lilac and may, I gave you autumn colours too, and pristine snow, told you if a fox crossed ahead of me. Now my front lawn is strewn with petals, like a wedding, and I have no one to tell. The forget-me-nots you gave me are coming up everywhere. Thanks.
Um, I'm just going to read the one, and it's um, kind of a love letter to a bunch of writers who um, wrote about things that they can address directly in the kind of metaphorical language that they created in order to do that, and it's called The Sky is Like. It's like living in a service station, saying my own name over and over with an upwards inflection putting a stack of magazines in a public toilet. Like giving someone your phone number, but it's a payphone, a room of one's own and the walls are parentheses. Like buying clothes that are too small for the day when you too will be small, not so loud. Speak in assured paragraphs, do you know what I mean? The same slash different. Looking up at the Big Dipper under a sky like an egg pickled in tea. You might grow up to be a princess, your arms twist-tied and walk on point or to kiss one and be transformed. You will laugh about this over and over, like, do I want to be her or cook for her? Brush her hair? How to be both and neither? Or a shoe? Or a pumpkin? Or a horse rider? Or a politician's wife? or a partner, or a partner, or like the pool of water that has collected in the dip where a tree blew over in a storm and tadpoles have brewed. And by tadpoles, I mean like the politics of ambiguity. We've had to hide under metaphors for wanting, but metaphors allow for things to live that we just don't have the words for. It's like eating dessert first, or jumping in the sea fully clothed. It's like I can see you, indigo and glittering like an August evening in April, like a Spanish bluebell, like the sarum plat you were afraid to get cut, like maybe you're holding space for someone. The sky is like a kind of bluey grey like cartoon duck eggs. It is never enough and all too much. Why can't you just make up your like mind? Thank you. Kate Kiva Arthur, please. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, I just, uh, having heard Shivani's poems, thought I would read this one. It's called Saint Malangal and the Hare, and um, Saint Malangal is a, probably not the way you pronounce it, but um, she's. Um, a Welsh, Welsh saint. She's actually Irish, but she um, travelled to Wales and stayed there all alone. And I wrote it in the um, a few months ago. Well, actually, it was a, a year ago when um, in Ireland the repeal the Eighth Movement was happening, which was um, securing reproductive rights for Irish women. So Saint Malango and the Hare. She sleeps on a rock ledge across the river from the ancient yews. Their broken trunks bleed red sap. Instead of words, she plays her long fingers through the dew-bodied grass strings. Savouring the small plosive thuds of soft fruit against warm soil, impossibly more than she could consume. They say it is silent here, but it is loud with the cry of the corncrake and the shock of the colours, 
cornflower, corn marigold, scarlet pimpernel, red-legged partridge. She lies down with the boar, the deer, the fox and the wolf. The opening and closing of the flowers sound the bells for her prayers. When the heavy-bellied mother raised herself up on her strong legs to pummel her pursuers. When she called her low call to her three leverets in the form and slides like air through rushes to suckle them. Malangle saw her own past and future. I've got one more poem. Um, here it is. Um, it's, a, it's called Blue Cento, and it starts with a quote um, from a poet called Helen Kelville, Do We Ever Get a Second Chance? Both of us know the danger of this sea. The blue that believes in nothing has my shape in its wrinkles. A woman in red with a child on her hip, and he, when he was 40, the sun king, swimming in water I would say was colourless, flood museums. I sensed in its cool breath and in its voice waverings of silk, not the long-legged hunger. Waves were broken scrolls beyond Donegal, white mountains prettifying my many crimes. In shadows I can wade up to my thighs in blue. He tried to imagine syllables it wished to say. That's when he felt the hot salt all over him. Numerous objects have slipped from his possession. Slippery ocean wave, a hope, throwing the plates, the spoons, the pasta. I'm in a different land now. You forget your address, you knock on a door. Are we or are we not magnetic force? I never thought in my own middle age, no house left to build, build no kitchen, gas stations, comfortable houses, the whole habitat, purposes, people, surrounded by surreal woodland of childhood. This too is dust. Don't forget, my early life will be yours too, wrenched in two, black blue. Thank you, Kate. Um, I'm now going to invite uh, Laura Whitner to come and uh, read, us, uh, read us her poems. Uh, Laura, those of you who came this morning to see uh, her read, you will know that she was born in Buenos Aires, and she has a number of books of poetry uh, uh, which have been published. Her work has also been included in anthologies, uh, one called Noche con Posibilidades, and um, she studied literature at the University of Buenos Aires. She conducts poetry and translation workshops and works as a translator for various editorials. And she has translated work by Leonard Cohen, David Markson, Anne Tyler, and James Schuler, and others into Spanish. And she also writes children's books, most recently, Eso no se hace, and Veo veo, conjeturas de un conejo. Laura, please come up to the stage. Hello. I too want to thank uh, Chloe and Philippa and everybody in the festival because it's so amazing to be here. 
and also Peter for reading the English versions of my poems. Um, much better than I do it myself, for sure. You'll... Jueves noche. Mi hijo maniobra jugadores de básquet en la pantalla desde el joystick. Mi hija pasea playmóviles en una vieja combi Lego procedente de otra infancia. Las luces están todas encendidas y cada una cumple su función porque enuncia otra tonalidad. Y todas juntas cumplen la función de mandarme de gira a cada rato a bajar teclas y repetir la antigua frase, la oración heredada. ¿Por qué? Dejan todas las luces prendidas. Pongo música y lleno una botella con el agua del filtro. Cuando aparece el chisporroteo del aceite, doy vuelta una por una las batatas, porque no dejaré piedras sin mover en la búsqueda del perfecto amor doméstico. Thursday night. My son maneuvers basketball players on a screen using his control stick, while my daughter gives a ride to Playmobil figures on an old Lego camper left over from someone else's childhood. All the lights are on in the house, each fulfilling a particular function by supplying a specific shade of color. Together, they serve the purpose of sending me on my rounds now and again to turn things off and repeat that old refrain we learned from our parents. Why do you leave all the lights on? I play some music and fill a bottle with filtered water. When the oil starts sizzling, I flip the yams one by one because I'll leave no stone unturned in search of that perfect domestic love. Pedro, where are you? Okay, this is the one I told you this morning when we read because Pedro described a poem of his, he didn't, he didn't read it, and I said that I thought that I had written the same poem, so we'll see. Debajo de la sombrilla. Debajo de la sombrilla, varias tortugas moldeadas en arena se yerguen e inician su camino hacia el mar, apuntando, tal vez, en dirección opuesta, nudos de histéricos cangrejitos negros patalean al violento vaivén de un baldazo de espuma estancada. Vemos a otros, en fin, a nuestros hijos, ocupar diestramente el espacio reservado para momentos fundantes, tomar la ola de frente, dejarse mojar los pies por lo que viene y va, vencer el frenesí, flotar, hundirse poco a poco en arenas movedizas, emerger. ¿Quiénes nos creemos al sol y desvestidos, revolcados en los torrentes del amor, ambiciosos directores de una escena sobreexpuesta, manoteando recursos, utensilios, o mejor, responsables de, con un crudísimo presente, ir armando el álbum de recuerdos? Under the Beach Umbrella Under the beach umbrella, several turtles caked with sand emerge and start making their way to the sea. 
pointed perhaps in the opposite direction, knots of hysterical black crabs kick their claws in the air to the sudden splatter of stagnant froth. We see others too, our children to be exact, skillfully occupying the space reserved for these elemental moments, being splashed by the wave before them, letting their feet get wet by what rushes in and flows out, controlling their frenzy, floating and sinking little by little in shifting sands, then coming up again. Who do we think we are, sunbathing half-dressed like this, rolling around in love's streams, self-seeking directors of some overexposed scene, filching resources and utensils, or better yet, those responsible in this most vulgar present for putting together a book of souvenirs? ¿Por qué insistimos con los viajes? Los postes del alambrado se suceden dentro de los límites que el dedo desaguó en el vaho del vidrio. Son segundos en la acechante línea temporal, guiones, en la línea espacial junto a la ruta. Guiones son segundos, son guiones. Un viaje tranquiliza por un rato, propiciando que avancen juntos el espacio y el tiempo. Que pase el tiempo, que pase el espacio, que pase uno por el tiempo y el espacio, suspirando por fin. Esto tiene más sentido. Why we still go on trips at all? The fence posts pass in succession. Within the limits, the finger clears in the condensation on the pane. Seconds in the temporal line that lies in wait. Dashes in the spatial line alongside the highway. Dashes are seconds are dashes. A trip can pacify for a time, can let time and space go forward as one. Let time pass. Let space pass. Let us pass through time and space, sighing, finally, this makes more sense. Do you, do you want us to do it the other way around? So start, do, do it in English and then Spanish. The atrocity exhibition. Someone caught, chopped and left this fish head on the shore, a single cord of intestine trailing. I see it, noting my own head, how it continues along the throat and beyond. Thigh deep in seawater, the couple is kissing. The young couple is kissing. I've been there as well, of course, who hasn't? A woman without hair enters the water with determination. Crusted with salt, a leashless dog thrusts his nose at the crutch of a girl in bikini. Get away, you piece of shit! Brackets direct quote. If three grains of sand against the rock in the wind can vary in such infinite drawings, what atrocity suggests the variation of that sculpture which, stiff in damp sand, could be a castle, a female torso, mountains, a circus, a border? What gets flattened within the moulds, contorting and mutating its chemistry alongside such smug simmering? Thank you. 
Exhibición de atrocidades. Alguien pescó, cortó y dejó en la orilla esta cabeza de pescado unida simplemente a su intestino. La veo y siento mi propia cabeza, cómo se continúa en la garganta y más allá, con el mar hasta el culo, se besa la pareja enamorada, la joven pareja enamorada. También estuve ahí, sí, claro, ¿quién no? Una mujer sin pelo entra al agua con determinación. Apelmazado de sal, un perro suelto olisquea por sorpresa la entrepierna de una chica en bikini. Salí, perro de mierda, cito textual. Si tres granos de arena secos son capaces sobre la roca al viento de variar en dibujos infinitos, cuán atroz puede ser la variación de esta escultura que en arena dura y húmeda sugiere un castillo, un torso femenino, unas montañas, un circo, una frontera, que se arrasa por dentro de los moldes y convulsiona y en lo químico muta mientras una tan campante veranea. This is the last poem, <clears throat> Jet Lag. You know those red potatoes we bought together? Today, they're going in my soup and you're on another continent. ¿Viste las papas rojas que compramos juntos? Recién hoy las guiso y vos en otro continente. Well, thank you to all of you. this off my phone, which seems to be kind of the thing to do. Um, so this is called Advice for Daughters. I have three of them. Um, yeah, it's a piece of work. Advice for Daughters. Given the choice over marriage every time, pick beetroot. It's strong, deep, tough, yet soft predictable, never afraid to be erring on the side of pink, will leave its mark in no uncertain terms, both inside, you and out, will let you know when it's past its best, and besides, is quite astonishing with cream. When lured by love or by gold, remember, always, that somewhere close by there are things more succulent still, Thick books, glued, stitched, leather-bound, for sinking your teeth. Blackberries scrumped over someone else's wall. The nip of a bramble scratch, 
the dotted line of blood. A bike, wheels, a whole outside upholstered in velvet moss and heather. Split rocks. You can lose days trying to hedge and fence to tame the unruly, but look and there will always be a glut from wild trees or vines in regiments harvesting the sun, last year's grape and grain crushed and stored, glinting in damp cellars, and for nothing, while you wait, laughter to decant into the water running downstream from the still. When they try to change your name, to put you in white, in black, to measure the cut of your jib, length of your leg, your hem, to cover your arms, shoulders, or head, or uncover the same. It's the same, to cover or uncover your breasts at their behest, not yours, to profit from your time, your talent, your body, put words in your mouth, or take away your pen, your room. When they stop you singing or silence your flute, your guitar, your violin, your harp, when they offer you less for more or less for the same, cut you, your hair, twist your hair, throw a stone, throw rocks. That's when to say no, to burst the bonds, stick up an arm, catch the rock, and playing the flute with the other hand, multitasking being your thing, or so they tell us, throw it straight back, harder aiming at that tender spot right between the eyes. Bang. Thank you. So um, this next one, I haven't done it for a while, so I hope I can remember it. But I'm thinking that because we have so many Spanish speakers here, I wanted to do, try and do this one, um, which is, um, it's, um, it's a lament, and it's a lament from me for the fact that um, for English speakers, the teaching of languages and the learning of languages is almost, I want to say dying out, it's probably dead. Um, it's getting there. <laughs> so um, I'm afraid the worst thing is that I have to sing this. I'm really sorry about that, but it's just, it's part of the thing because it's called Cante Hondo, a lament. Cante Hondo. <clears throat> Joe and me. We didn't want a second home. Back at the beach near Porlock. Porlock, by the way, is where poetry dies, for anyone who doesn't know. Back at the beach where, near Porlock, where the sea oats shiver and the aging ice cream man alone sings the sad song of summer's end. Joe retired, quite a lot younger than other men in the same job. But that's the drug squad for you. It gets stressful sooner cause of all the thugs. And the violence is tiring. Holidays, well it's tricky, isn't it? Whether the hotels finish plumbing's in and all the mucky stuff goes swilling down the pipes and isn't washed into the Mediterranean Sea. That was when I hit upon a clever plan. It was a timeshare somewhere near Marbella, but not quite as posh, but still quite nice, we thought. It had a cactus by the porch. 
And then I said, let's do this properly. We can't be like all them Brits abroad. No, Joe, I said, let's do this properly. We can eat their food. We can talk their talk. Hola, buenos dias. Those were my first Spanish words. Taught to me by a dusky Sevillano on a motorbike in campesino boots. That's the Sevillano, not the motorbike. Chewing hard on a dark cheroot. Joe, I said, or should I call you Jose now? Where are you? Donde estas? When Senor Javi comes to teach us words, you'll never learn a thing unless you turn the football off. Ay, 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 mi marido no quería nada de Senor Javi ni sus clases ni atardeceres bajo la luna anaranjada de Sevilla. Well, I think that means, oh my God, my husband really didn't want to know nothing about Senor Javi or the classes underneath the orangey moon, the orangey moon of Seville, something like that. But I thought it sounded better in Spanish. <laughs> he went away without to say adios to me and Javi, back to a beach in Pollock where the sea oats shiver. And the aging ice cream man alone sings the sad song of summer's end. Gracias, señores y señoras. Buenas noches. also going for my phone if I can find the poem on the phone which I found out I had a few minutes ago. <laughs> Bear with me. Here we are. Just a quick warning, I'm reading this as a first draft and I have the second draft in my memory which I learnt a month ago then forgot so this should be an interesting ride. Um, this poem is called um, Smoker's Shack. I was in a I'm smoking area in a nightclub, not that I smoke, because I spend most of my friends do, but I don't. I was just sitting there, sort of dying of boredom and secondhand smoke. And I was feeling a bit anxious for other reasons. And I sort of wove the two together into this weird sort of dreamscape of sort of not addiction, but the, the spiritual dilapidation. I'm sounding really pretentious, I know. Um, um, the spiritual dilapidation which comes with a sort of addiction and that sort of that state of mind where you're not like looking for the next sort of bit of excitement. You're just sort of that empty heaviness, just sort of this is it. I'm done. And this is sort of a slightly trippy dreamscape for that. Um, Smoker's Shack. Red eyes bleed their light into the sweating dark. Below we crouch, weaving smoke to air and air to lungs and lungs to cosy concertina mittens waiting lone for AWOL hearts. The air is heavy, air from Venus. Below we crouch, knotted knees, not still but shaking but shaking, the nicotine shudder crawling up legs and lats and neck and lips, 
seeping into the aching plow of jaw, core, core, my core cores with ache. Latched to ceiling, we're trying so, so hard not to fool. In this shed packed with nights, with guttergill eyes, we'll hop into insomnia to dream of sticky toffee tar. Done. That's my idea. And then, uh, could we please have Joanna Sedenius, please? Sorry, Sedenius. Hello, my name is uh, Johanna Sedenius, and I come from Sweden. I'm here for the Ledbury Poetry Festival, and it's been amazing. Thank you so much, everyone here. Um, we found out, me and my friend, that a Swedish opera singer, Jenny Lind, is buried some miles from here in Molvön. Uh, she was called the Nightingale, the Swedish Nightingale, and she lived for 100 years ago. Uh, so I wrote a Swedish poem, a horror poem, a scary one, <laughs> about her, because she is coming up from a grave and wants to sing to us. Barock skrock, brittiskt det kokt, en ryslig fasa slingrar sig upp. Det fanns applåder någonstans, men det var ju länge sedan nu. Ljus i ansiktet, men inomhus. Bänd upp min kropp som en vevlira och sträck ut min strupe, din togivra. Knarrande knän, knogar och bröst. Låt mig få sjunga högt, högt, högt. Nej, Thor, släpp mig nu. Orden, gå och lägg dig. Jag är en väckt sopran med hel i min hand. Inte ens freja behövs i nektargarsland. Fasanen kutar i panik över gärdet när fasan själv krossade världen. Ingen rust, det är ingen sån du hör. För strupen var länge sedan rutten förmultnad förstörd. Men ljudet, det gick på låg frekvens för hundar yla ut kårar ikväll. Dreadful, ghastly, you gruesome girl. Go back to your tomb. Stop clinch to this world. Det knakar bara lätt i käken när hon log och njöt. Låt mig få sjunga högt, högt, högt. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Johanna. Thank you. Uh, we're finishing now with Pedro. Pedro Serrano has published five collections of poems. He has co-edited and co-translated the groundbreaking anthology, uh, The Lamb Generation, which brought together translations of 30 contemporary British poets back in 2000. His libretto for the opera, Marimbas de l'Exil, and El Norte en Veracruz was first staged in Besançon in France. And then it traveled to Paris and Mexico. This was again back in 2000. He has also translated Shakespeare's King John into Spanish. Many of his poems have been translated into English and have been published widely in the UK and abroad. At present, he teaches in the Faculty of Philosophy and Letters at the National Autonomous University of Mexico. Well, I first want to thank um, Peter and Philippa and Chloe and, and all, all of you who are here, because I think uh, uh, poetry is something that is done not by the one who writes it, but, 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 uh, but the community. I mean, 
that's done by all of us. No. So, so I'm going to read first um, a poem that's called Helada en Oxon. I'm going to read it in Spanish and then in English. El campo gélido, asfixiado por una luz transfija. Escoriados los surcos, falto de nieve todo, crispado en el ahogo. Por los canales un brillo de venas congeladas, dedos artríticos el filo de los árboles. El terral, un cuerpo glauco cubierto por un gel transparente. Fosforescencia de calcio la grava, molida por la ausencia de aire. Una saliva metálica, un polvo helado la arada. Emanan apenas el barro, la paja, el ramerío, grumos, ocre y marrón. Abajo, abajo, como aliento ventral, el valle, un cuenco de madera. Y muy adentro, el apretado corazón de un pino, como una irradiación de manos húmedas. Although these poems are not uh, collected, I, I read, the poems I read today were part of a book called Pitlands, as Anna Crow, who translated them and uh, uh, said, and it was uh, published by ARC, and I think there are some copies at the bookshop. Um, Frost in Oxon. The land ice bound, smothered by frozen light. The furrows abraded, no snow anywhere, but clenched and stifled. Along the canals, a sheen of frozen veins, arthritic fingers, a ridge of trees. Bare ground, a gray green body covered in transparent gel, gravel with, cal with calcium phosphorescence, ground down by the lack of air. Plough land, a metallic spittle, a frozen dust. Clay, straw, bare branches hardly emerging. Clots of brown and ochre. Down, way down, like a deep breath, the valley, a wooden bowl. And far within, the squeezed heart of a pine, like the splayed radiance of wet hands. And then this poem is called La Mar Oceano. Quiet, but all these poems are written, we, we, today Clo uh, uh, asked me about places, and I think the place, this, the previous one was, I was passing in a train by this little town called Oxon, and, and, and the poem came to me like that. And this poem was written in Veracruz, a port in Mexico. La Mar Oceano. Quieto, Reducido a la inequidad de un teatro vacío, solapado rastra la lenta majestad del mar, relamida, suave, disconforme, una humedad salivosa se pega siempre a quien se acerca. Se le ven las costillas en cada ramalazo, apenas tres hileras de lomo liso, fluctuante, como los dientes. De repente de nada sale un grito, el gesto maquinal y obsecado, el santo olor de la sangre, chac, 
chac, chac. La furia fría del escualo, su seda, la boca rápida en la lustrosidad del agua, chac, 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 se sacude. En el océano interminable y solo el pez da vueltas. The ocean sea, reduced to the iniquity of an empty theater, calmly, warily, it trolls the slow majesty of the sea, gloating, smooth, inimical. A mucus-like saliva always sticks to whatever comes close. With every lash of its tail, the ribs can be seen. Barely three rows of smooth flank rippling like the teeth. A cry suddenly out of nowhere, the stubborn mechanical expression, the blessed smell of blood. Chuck, chuck, chuck. The cold fury of the shark, its smoothness, the swift mouth in the lustrous water. Chuck, chuck, chuck. It shakes itself. In the endless, lonely ocean, the fish goes on, circling. 